Have a seat. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here, and today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 and then following. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, as we begin a new series. And I'll tell you, it's not one you're going to like. <laughs> That's not true, I hope. But, uh, you know, I'm preparing myself for that because what happened in the last series is we talked about Jesus. And what's better than talking about Jesus? What's better than telling you how good he is and how much he loves you, his authority and his love? We kept saying that over and over again. Um, But then (laughs) he makes the same move that we're going to make. So let's follow it. He says in Matthew 9, uh, verse 35, he says, Jesus went. Throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Whoa. Wow. Awesome. That's Jesus, right? He's healing people. He's taking their afflictions. We talked about last time that he doesn't just like speak that stuff and it happens. Of course, he has the authority to do that, but but his whole ministry wasn't just to make a group of people in a region of the Middle East over a period of a couple of years have fewer medical issues. His ministry was much bigger than that. He was doing those things to preach about the thing he had actually come to do, which was to take the sin of humanity on himself. So when he's doing these things and he's taking these afflictions, he's taking them on himself. He's bearing them on his body, in his body, on on the tree as he is going to the cross. But we're seeing that. We're seeing that echoed. We're seeing that um, alluded to, prefaced in the way that he's healing all these people and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Remember that that is the main piece of what he's doing. He is doing those things in order to preach the gospel. That's why these healings would sometimes be contingent on the faith of the individual. Not because their faith had to earn it, but because he was very clear about why he was doing what he was doing. He wasn't just a service. He was there in order for them to know him. He's just doing colossal stuff. And when he sees the crowds, he has compassion for them. So he's not just doing all this incredible work. He is doing it with a heart that actually feels. What's the burnout rate for people in the people-helper places of... uh, industry. You know, you, you talk about social workers, you talk about teachers, you talk about people that are doing uh, therapy, people that are working with people that have had incredible suffering. Those people don't do that for very long, often, because how can you? You have compassion fatigue, which is such a nice way of saying what it feels like to be gutted day in, day out by the stories you're hearing. But Jesus can he sees crowds. He, he cares for cities and villages and continues to have compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the part that I don't like as much. Because <laughs> he's doing that. Atlas. He is holding the world on his shoulders. And then he turns and looks at his disciples and says... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you see what he did? He's doing all this, and it's incredible. And his disciples are kind of like standing behind like, yeah. And then he turns around with all of that weight, with all of that pain, with a crown 
of thorns and says to them, you're about to do this. You need to start praying earnestly that God would equip some people to to join me in this harvest. In the very next verse, what we're going to talk about today, he means them. He means to send them to join him in this work. This is a series about being sent. It's cheap to just say evangelism. It's reductionistic. It's not just that. It's not about training you on six paragraphs and then having you just repeat them militarily. If you would do that, praise God. I'm not listening. It's not less than that. But it's more. It's him saying that you're joining him in this work. And historically, that's not something we like to do. So how am I going to motivate you? How, how are we, from this text, motivated to pursue this, this carrying the world on our shoulders kind of burden? I mean, at the end of this two chapters, which is what's going to make up this series, at the end of that two chapters, Jesus says famously that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. That's what we call this series, the light Burden. I'm trying to capture both of these ideas. Burden. I'm not trying to make this easy on you. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to do any evangelism. You don't have to care about people. All you have to do is hand out this card. Now, it's not less than that. We give you cards. Hand them out. Look at all these empty seats. Fill them up. It's not less than that. But I would not be preaching the Bible if I didn't tell you to do what he is telling you to do. Not just telling you to do the lowest possible. He's inviting you to do what he is doing with his compassion to care for this number of people in this way. How would you ever want to do that? Yeah, you could want it for their sake if it was actually successful. And actually, I think I've got some encouragement for you there. But to just go about the slog of it, to just be unselfish for a moment, really. I don't know how to motivate you until I start to think about it in the way that that I think Jesus is presenting it. Because he is not saying to go and do something that he's not also doing. What it starts with is telling you what Jesus was doing, right? And then he turns to these guys that have been with him and watched him do this for a long time now. And then he invites them to come with him. That, I think, is the crucial piece of it. I grew up, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in a very interesting place. Um, it's this very rural area, but the church that we went to had about, I don't know, 300 people when this pastor came. And his name's David Landreth, and he was our superhero because he showed up. He's six foot five, he's a big, big dude. And he was funny. He was smart, and he was convictional. He was a leader. And in the course of time that we went to that church, it went from like a 200-person church up to a 7,000-person church and growing. In the middle of nowhere. I mean, you would just go through like Cowfield, 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 and then Disneyland. It would just erupt on the horizon as this massive complex of buildings. And it's not about buildings, right? But 
it was exciting to see what was happening there. And, I, and it happened over a couple of decades, and I got to kind of live through that. And this guy, I mean, he was not just my hero. Now, I, I think God has called me to be a pastor, and so specifically for me, seeing other pastors was, you know, exciting. But I think everybody respected this guy. He just had, there was an awe around him. Not that he cultivated that. He was very salt of the earth, but, but there was sort of an awe around him. And again, like I say, I, I think God called me to this role. And so as that was part of my growth in Christ, and, and that, that was like spiritual gifts that I saw kind of growing up in me, I, I wanted to pursue that. And that church gave some sort of ways for you to, to grow in ministry. What would it look like for you to be a pastor? And how do we cultivate that or evaluate you in that? And there were some internships I would do in college. I would come back over the summer and do these long, intensive internships there. And then as I graduated college, and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to seminary or... Maybe there's something at this church that I could go and do. And that pastor actually gave me the opportunity to do a year-long internship with just him. So it's not an internship in a ministry. I would just be his right-hand guy for a year. And I'm probably going to get a lot of coffee or whatever, but I'm going to get to see him do his sermon prep. I'm going to see him do his arguments with staff. I'm going to watch him deal with crises that come up. And I'm just going to get some time with the guy. Now, again, I might be carrying his luggage, but whatever. I mean, this guy to me is bigger than any president. He's bigger than any athlete. I'll do whatever he wants to do. And then, so of course, I agreed to do the internship. And as I get close, like maybe we're a couple of weeks out, I get the call that instead of doing that, they'd actually like me to lead this, um, they call it a, a satellite campus. It's called, sort of like church planning with training wheels <laughs> Uh, in this other area, and just to do that instead. And it was one of those, hey, would you, as opposed to like, would you like to? Because then I would be like, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I want to hang out with my hero, you know. Uh, but they just said, no, you're going to do that instead. It's like, die, you know. It's a very big bait and switch in my life. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty soon after. I did that for about a year and a half and then went to seminary and then pastored in uh, Memphis, Tennessee for a minute before coming out here. Well, I've, I've regretted not getting that time with him because, unfortunately, he died. He died right as we were kind of launching to come out here. Um, just weird, a younger guy still and pretty healthy, but uh, cancer, and he unfortunately, didn't live. And um, again, I, I hate that I missed that time with him because, you know, like if he retired, he could have come out here. He could have hung, you know. He could have seen what we're doing. But as I reflect on that, even though... <laughs> Sorry, um, even though I miss this guy, I feel like I know him. And it's not because of FaceTime. <clears throat> I feel like I know him because I'm doing what he did, right? You know, you're not 7,000, <laughs> but you are a church. You are people who are nice sometimes and not very nice sometimes. You are people who lift my burden sometimes and who give me burdens sometimes. You're people that I have to do ministry with. And as I do that, it's really up and it's really down. And I go to the Savior with the same problems that he had. I sleep infrequently like he did. And he would share this stuff. Again, I don't know this guy. I'm, if you counted the FaceTime I spent with him, right? But when somebody's preaching to you, you feel like you know him a little bit. 
So he's sharing these stories, and I feel like, okay, I, I get it, but it's not until I start doing what he did, caring for the things he cared for, thinking about other stuff you could do with your life that would be much more lucrative financially, much more secure and simple, but choosing instead to stay in the position that you're in, making people mad <laughs> all the time. Choosing that is the choice that he made. Do you understand that I, got to, I get to know him as I carry the burdens that he carried? Different context. Same burdens. It should be the heartbeat of every Christian to want to know Christ. It should be your heartbeat. Not to just see him as an example out there somewhere, but to really want him as a person. Right? Like, not just to want his position, not just to want his title, but to want him. Not to want to maybe do something impressive that he'll be impressed by, but just to want him. And now it feels like he's far away, doesn't it? And we can study. I mean, that's, that's kind of my life's task is to study Scripture in order to teach it. We can study it, but as you study it, it actually tells you to go and do something. As you go and do these things, you're doing the same things that he modeled for you to do. You're carrying the same burdens that he chose to leave heaven and come pick up. You're looking into the eyes of the same spectrum of people, the lepers and the Pharisees, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the Sadducees and the Romans. There's all of those people. And you are being called by him to carry that same weight. That's what he's doing right here, right? He's doing incredible things. And then he's turning to the disciples and inviting them to join him for a burden that is light. Why? Man, I think the only real answer I can give you is because he's there. I'm, like I said, this, this pastor that I, I loved is dead, and I won't see him till heaven. And Jesus sometimes feels far, but he's not. Now, my, my pastor friend is dead, and Jesus did die. But then he came back. <laughs> he promised to be with us always. And in that promise, or at least the most prominent spot where that promise is given, he also calls us to go and make disciples. I want to marry those things in our mind. I think if you can see that, yeah, he calls you to an impossible thing. He calls you to this massive, expensive, difficult calling. But he calls you to do it with him. That makes all the difference. And in fact, it makes it a pretty appealing opportunity. It says that he called to his 12 in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1. He called to them... Uh, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. As soon as he tells them to pray for laborers, he calls them and he sends them. He delegates authority to them 
and he sends them. I, I think you need to see that, that this is given to us, not as a historical biography of the disciples, that, oh, then there was this one time where Jesus asked them to actually go and do some of the same thing. This is given for you to understand what he is calling for you to go and do. That you're now, like these guys, being given by him the same calling, the same task that he had, that you're invited to join with him in filling up the afflictions. And it's going to be expensive. (laughs) What is more uncomfortable in our society than telling other people how they should live? If you, like, enjoy that, that's a whole nother thing about you as an individual. It is difficult because we don't have any kind of common language as a society for what should be that we all agree about. Does that make sense? About the only objectively, like everybody's in, in, on board with, value that we have as a society is that you don't get to tell other people what to do. <laughs> the only one we agree on is the thing that says you can't agree. We can't look at each other and say, hey, we all should be following after God. Because in our society, everybody gets to define God as their own thing. As everybody gets to kind of disagree about that. Everybody gets to disagree about whether or not it's even possible to agree on who God is. It's uncomfortable to step into that role. It's expensive. It's expensive socially. Cool people just go with the flow. Evangelists don't get to be cool. You have a constant burr in every conversation because you know that you can't just like, whatever, you know, and be cool with whatever they're saying. Not that you're just going to like fight everybody on every moral point, but because you know that they need to be in a right relationship with God. And you're trying to, dis- to see, are they? If they are, praise God, brother, sister, how can I encourage them? If not... How can I tell them about Jesus? That's expensive socially. It's expensive personally. You cannot seek after your own desires and fulfill the mission of the kingdom. Can't do both. We talked about that a little bit in the last series where he was just saying, a guy was saying, hey, wait, Jesus, let me just go bury my dad and then I'll come. And he said, let the dead bury their own dead. You had a guy that said, let, let me come after you, Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have holes and birds there have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying? It's going to be expensive to follow me. You can't do what you want and do what I want. That doesn't work. You got to just do what I want. And that's expensive personally. It's a crown removal. It's a dethroning that takes place and then an enthroning that takes place as you give him that lordship. How how are we going to go about doing this? I think this first time as we begin looking into this, we're going to talk more about mechanics, but, but as we start looking into this, we need to think about, but how do we want to do it? How, how do we have enough hope to even attempt to do it? And in the passage that we talked about today, we've already got several things in there. They're the fact that he's good, the fact that the harvest is plentiful, the fact that he can use us. But each of these things, they fit under the big pounding desire of every Christian to know him and knowing him to make him known. 
I, I hope that you want that. If you can feel that, if, if that illustration connects with you, that, that being with him is really the goal. And right now in this fallen world with the day and a half you've got before you're dead, the way you're going to go about that is by carrying the burden that he carried, doing the thing that he did. How, how then do you go about that? Well, let's, let's break it into some pieces. One, he's good. Go back to, uh, oh, okay, yeah. Go to the end of Matthew 11, the end of what we're going to be doing, and it says, come to me. This is Jesus preaching. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a good king. First thing you're going to get into your head if you're going to go about this is that he is a good king. He goes around all these cities and villages and he teaches in their synagogues. He proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. He heals every disease and every affliction. And when he sees the crowds, he also has compassion on them. He doesn't just do good. He feels good. He thinks good. His whole person is a loving, complete, sacrificial person for the world. He is good. You are not leading people to something that might be good for them or probably will be good for them. You're leading them to the only one who is absolutely good for them. The Jesus who lets a prostitute clean her feet with her hair and tears and then (laughs) calls her clean. You're talking about the king who makes whips, but instead of using them on all these guilty, awful people, uses them on a broken system that is oppressing people when he goes into the temple and gets mad at the religious leaders. You're talking about a king who lives perfectly, then dies cursed. You're talking about a king who lays in a tomb dead until he gets up from it. You're talking about a good king you got to get that down. you got to feel that deeply. If he is the cure, if he is good, then we've got to commit to giving him to people, even if we're terrible at it. <laughs> when I was uh, like 19, it was in, I was in college, and it's a big state school, and I'm on a street during a game day. It's a Saturday. As you see, obviously, I mean, anywhere you go, big state school, game day's a big deal. And there's all these people, and they're probably all kind of, you know, looser than they should be, maybe a little, you know, it's early in the day, but they're having a great time. And I'm just kind of walking the street, you know, I'm 19 and just trying to figure out what's going on. And all these people are kind of moving around, and I was in like a parking lot of a gas station as I'm walking, and this woman kind of walks up to me, 40-something lady, and she says something, she kind of mumbles something, her eyes are unfocused, and then she just passes out. And I catch her. She passes out kind of like into my arms. And I catch her and then go down to the ground. And I'm just kind of looking around like, what in the world do I do? What just happened? And the guy, I'll never forget this, who was uh, loose, drunk as a skunk. Uh, he, he was not in a great place mentally. But he knew exactly what was happening. <laughs> I don't know what was the deal was. He was like a doctor on his day off or something. Because he saw her and he went, oh, it was just a diabetic thing. And he pulled a packet of sugar out of his pocket, opened it, put it on his finger, and then just started rubbing it in her gums. 
Now, she's passed out, so you don't know what's happening. But I feel like some level of responsibility to stop, like, whatever weird thing is happening. Betty had a lot of authority. You know, he knew what he was doing, I guess. And the lady woke up. Oh. And then just sort of gets up, and he leads her inside the gas station to, like, go into the bathroom and wash her hands and, like, make sure she's okay. What? So Courtney Melrose at Hope Church, newer person here, knows about diabetes, and she can tell you why this is wrong, and I don't know what I'm talking about, and this story's crazy, or tell you exactly what happened. I don't know. All I know is a lady passed out, a man with dirty fingers that was drunk, took sugar and rubbed it in her mouth, and then she woke up. She had passed out, and then she was alive. (laughs) The reason I'm telling you this is because even if you've got dirty fingers... Even if you're a little drunk, <laughs> let's use that as an analogy, hopefully. You didn't show up this morning, you know, <laughs> crazy. But, 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 like, even if you're terrible, if you have the right cure, if you have what they need, don't you need to go give it? I mean, that's the point here. The point isn't that you're great. The point is that he's great. He's the cure. He's the good king. We got to go and give him. I think that it goes even further because it does describe the need that's all around. I mean, it's talking about him doing these kinds of things, and this happens in Matthew. You have these five discourses that happen through Matthew where Jesus gives all this teaching, but they're, they're bookended by these kind of summary moments where it just says that he's doing like crazy ministry and all these cities and villages and all these people are being healed and being released from their afflictions. Just in a couple of sentences, it'll describe what probably was his 30 hours of a day of, of helping people. And it's true. The need was enormous. This guy, D.A. Carson, sums it up well. He says, Galilee, which was the district that Jesus is mostly moving in, the district covered, It's small. It's about 70 miles by 40 miles. But according to Josephus, who was a writer one generation later, Galilee had 204 cities and villages, each with no fewer than 15,000 people. So somebody do that math. Even if this figure refers only to the walled cities and not to the villages, which is not what Josephus says, a most conservative estimate points to a large population, even if less than Josephus's 3 million. The sheer physical toll must have been enormous. Now, multiply it. Multiply it. Multiply it further and further. Go from not just Galilee to Israel, not just Israel, but the whole empire of Rome. Not just the empire, but the further reaches of the civilization. Then you go out beyond the edges of what Romans understood to be civilization, and you find exotic kingdoms who are filled with a totally different civilization. I mean, China was around. Then... You go not just around the world as it was then, but imagine having to be redeployed decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia as the population skyrockets. The work is massive. It is incredible. It must have been enormous. And you think about the people that we're going to speak to. We talk about this all the time in our training, what we do here at Hope Church. 2 Timothy 2. God may perhaps grant our opponents, the people that we speak to, 
repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see how Paul started to feel what Jesus felt as he looked out on all those people in need and saw them as sheep without a shepherd? They're not just the the dirty, unwashed masses, the hoi polloi. He sees them as harassed, as captive, as people deserving pity, love, effort to attempt to rescue. They're captured by the enemy to do his will. Oh, it's like they're deceived. But what can we do? Okay, he is very good. The need is very great. But how do I fit into that equation? Well, a great number of people will receive Jesus if we will labor. Matthew 11, 37 and 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest, I'm sorry, I think Matthew 10, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Have you ever been around when there's a real harvest happening? I mean, all I can think of is fruit trees because I just haven't been there for a lot of other stuff. Fruit trees, when they're like fruity, are heavy with fruit. The branches sink under the weight of the fruit. And if you have one of those in your yard, it's awful because there's so much fruit, you can't even know what to do with it. A lot of it's already got the bugs and birds in it. But, but you try to mow and there's all of this rotten fruit all over your yard because it's just way too much. Do you understand that he is choosing this illustration for that purpose? How many people are around you? If you will labor, he says, he says, they'll respond. That it really is picking fruit. It doesn't feel that way. That's what he says. He says there are people who will, they'll respond to the words that have been preached. And how could they not? This, this is God speaking. God that said, let there be light. The Son who is called the Word. And the Spirit who speaks through us. It says in Acts 2, and this was something uh, Kelsey was kind of referencing. There came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. It fills the entire house where they are sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. You've got breath, you've got tongues, and you've got fire. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. That's what he's equipping you to do. He's filling you with that same word that Isaiah 55 talks about when he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It's not going to return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He can use you. Ah, no, we're out of time. But look at one through four real quick. He called them, his 12, to him, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits and he cast, to cast out the unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles were these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. If you take a moment to read about these guys you find that God didn't pick them because they're incredible. I don't really know why he picked them. It just seems like they were as average as average. 
from these guys, I don't, I don't gain this impossible standard that we can't reach. What I see instead is an impossible Savior who can use people like this. People like Peter, who were afraid and denied Christ even to a little girl. People like John, who was proud and aggressive. He was a son of thunder, and he was pressing to be made first among the apostles. Not like, I want to serve, but like, let me be leader. John, who offered to call down fire on a Samaritan village on Jesus' behalf because they, were, they didn't have a place for him to stay. What? People like Matthew, the tax collector, who we've talked about. People that are a quiet sort, who just sort of disappear like about half of these guys. One of the one, people like Thomas who demand great evidence. And we can make fun of Thomas. There's a lot of redeeming qualities. But he is somebody that, that we run into a lot. You share with, and they just got more and more questions. Okay, here's more questions answered. Here's more questions answered. They're just going to give you more questions. People who, who are violently concerned with politics, like Simon. God can even use these people. And they weren't great people. They were people who had known a great Lord. It says in Acts 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. But they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Listen, as we go through this whole series, you are hopefully going to be equipped to speak out. Again, not with a specific paragraph, but with understanding what's more important, which is how he has changed you and how he needs to change them. Love is going to overcome all those other barriers. Here's a couple of practical ways that you can get started. Who can you talk to this week? If you're a Christian, God's already been laying people on your heart. Who can you talk to this week? Write down their name, pray for them every day. Commit to it. If you're in a community group, your community group leader should ask you about it this week. Community group leaders, ask people about this this week. Commit to write me an email on any doubts. Shoot me the doubts. I'm talking about doubts that you have personally, or you can just totally lie. And you can be like, I've been sharing the gospel with this person, and they have this doubt. How would you respond? Make it seem like you're already this passionate evangelist. That's totally fine. Whatever you need to do, it's not. That's a lie. Don't lie. You shouldn't lie. But whatever you need to do, send me an email. Let me help you. Let me try and use the resources God's given us in English with the internet to, to give good answers so that you can overcome some of these doubts. And, and I can even take ones that come up and I can use them in this series and respond to them all together because other people probably have that same concern. And daily, I want you to review how Jesus has helped you. If you want to speak to other people, you have to be convinced that he's a good king that can help them. You need to know that because he has helped you. How? Journal it out. And remember, remember <laughs> the reason that we're doing all this. It's not so that we're great or Hope Church explodes with people. It's so that you can know him, really know him, love the things he loved, hate the things he hate, and pick up the burden that he carries the light burden. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you and we want you, Lord. We want to know you. <laughs> we want to know what it's like to know you. We want to experience you, Lord. Oh, when we sing about you, that's what we're doing. We're trying to, to find ways to express these gospel truths with emotion, Lord. We want to, we want to know you. 
and the power of your resurrection. Lord, we want to experience what it's like to see your face, that sight that is heaven itself. And Father, you give us the opportunity to do that as we go on mission with you, as we get to experience what it is to carry the weights that you carried. And not really, because of course you're still carrying them, but, but to join with you in that, Father. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us in that way. Help us to see what it's like. And instead of, of downplaying or making excuses or sort of playing chicken with other Christians that maybe they'll share instead, that we would get excited about doing the work that you've called us to. We love you, sir. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.